But tonight we're going to continue through uh, 2 Corinthians, and I hope you guys are enjoying it. It's a little bit different book than 1 Corinthians, you know, but it's a good one. There's a lot of good things in it. Chapter 2, we're going to kind of pick up tonight. I've got section uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through chapter 3 to verse 6. I entitled it, and I usually don't say this, but this is the title that I, I put on it, was Christians are a sweet perfume and letters for Christ, and you'll find out kind of what that means. But Paul b- began by saying in kind of the first verses of chapter 2 that he wanted to spare them another painful visit. And I don't know how painful it was, the first visit, but it must have been painful enough for him to say, I'm I'm sparing you another one. That's why I'm not coming right now. It probably was filled with a lot of conflict. It probably was. Paul had a pastor's heart. He pastored this church for 18 months, and they weren't living right. So I know he must have had to deal with them in a very harsh way. And for us that are fathers or parents, you know, that's not easy at times. It's tough. It's hard. It's really hard. Conflict in the church is difficult, but it has to be dealt with from time to time. So Paul said, I don't want to, you know, I want to spare you this painful visit. That's why he, he wrote him a letter there. And the letter really is one that was probably lost. Some people think Paul might have wrote four letters, four letters to the church at, at Corinth. And the first one we already taught through, and the one that was probably lost was this second one that he's talking about, and the one that we teach tonight is really probably the third one. That's how I believe. I really do. But in that letter, he was encouraging them to deal with the problems that he had spoke to them about on that painful visit. I'm sure that's what it was. And uh, he, later on in this one section of chapter two, he encourages them to open up their arms to a brother who had repented of their sin. For some reason, they were holding back, receiving him back into the fellowship again. Listen what Galatians says in the Amplified Version in chapter 6. It says, Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual, and the spiritual ones are spoken of here as being those who are responsive to, notice that, and are controlled by the Spirit, should set him right and restore him and reinstate him. Without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself. Those are the guys who are supposed to go and deal with this brother. Least you should be tempted also yourself. Listen, the church sometimes has a very difficult time forgiving and restoring somebody when they've done wrong. We all do that, don't we? That's, That's our human nature. But as I was studying for this, it's like the Lord says, that's not my nature. And it's never God's nature. We serve a God who restores and a God who forgives, guys. That's why we're here tonight, because he's restored us and he's forgiven us. And we need to always remember that. Tonight, we look in a section where Paul says that he experienced great opportunity to bring the good news, to spread the gospel. And we want to see those things, don't we? I think we all do. And I think we can experience those opportunities. And I think in the future, we will see those great opportunities. But there's some things that we're going to have to do to do that. And Paul says to us as Christians, every one of us in this place that say yes to Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior, he says, you are like a perfume. You are like a cologne sent from God to this world that you and I live in. And then he goes on and he says that you are also 
Letters of Christ. Letters of Christ. Did you guys know that? Your life's a story about Jesus. And it's written by the Holy Spirit. Every one of you guys that are in this place, and myself included, we're all letters of Christ. And what we need to ask ourselves is this, and I want you to ponder this through the whole message, and at the end I'm going to say it again. How's your letter looking for Christ? Seriously. Really, how does it look to the people that you live your life with? Let's all stand up as we honor God's word, as we always do. If you got your Bible, you can turn to uh, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read the first two verses, and then we'll get right into it. It said, when I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. But I had no peace of mind because my brother, my, excuse me, my dear brother, Titus, hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went to Macedonia. Let's all pray. God, we thank you for your word. We really do. We thank you that it encourages us, it corrects us, it instructs us. It helps us to be your people, Lord. I pray tonight that you would guard my words, that the words that I would speak would be spirit and life, Lord. It fall upon your church, your people, your bride's hearts, and that they would see, receive it with great gladness and there would be much fruit tonight, Lord. Thank you that you saved us, Lord, and that we are your sons and daughters. Bless this time we have now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? Paul had an open door is what he says. But he said that while he was waiting for Titus, he was waiting for news from Corinth. He had sent him on down there to, to hear what was going on there. And, and Titus was really a Greek disciple. Matter of fact, he refers to Titus just like young Timothy as his true child in the faith. In other words, he was there when he was birthed into the kingdom of God. He was his child in faith, and he was concerned for this young man, Titus. And I went, that's a pastor's heart. That's a fatherly heart that's concerned for, for someone they brought into the kingdom of God. And it said that he left Troas, and we should have a map up there, I think. I want you to kind of see where it is. You see Troas down there, kind of on, I guess it would be on, on your right over there. That's where he was at, and what he said there is that he left Troas but it was only after he'd preached because there was such a great open door there. And then he took off, and I believe that he went back up into Macedonia looking for this young man. But he says there that the Lord opened up a door of opportunity in Troas. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, there's a wide open door for a great work here. What's he referring to? Ephesus. Although many oppose me. I believe God wants to give you and I opportunities. I really do. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God has been speaking to me a lot about that and that in the future that God wants to, listen, bring great opportunities for us, that he's going to open up doors that no man can shut. He's going to open up those doors that no man can shut. Opportunities to preach and to minister to people. God wants to bring those in the life of journey and even beyond that. Even to his church at large, he wants to do that. But what do we need to do? We need to do some things. We need to pray for opportunities. Pray. 
You say, well, how do you know you got to do that? Because you do. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 4, 3. I love this. He's speaking to the church there, and he says, pray for us. Pray for us, too, that God will give us, what? Many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. You got to pray, guys. God's been stirring my heart a lot about this, and I'm sure he's stirring a bunch of other people because, you know, I'm not the only one he wants stirred. But I believe he's stirring a lot of people to begin to pray that God would just bring these opportunities. You know, I talk about the Jesus movement a lot. I'm telling you, it was wide open doors of opportunity when that came. And there's a lot of people speaking today about a revival coming again. And I believe it's going to come. But we've got to pray for that to happen. Pray for opportunities. Pray for those, those open doors. But when you pray, then what do you do? You need to be prepared. You need to look for those opportunities as they would come to you. You need to listen to individual people as they speak to you about their felt needs. I used to witness all of the time. I really do. I just did it a while back ago to some guy that was fixing a generator that I had. And it was an opportunity. I'd been praying, Lord, give me opportunity. Give me opportunity. And I spoke to this guy about Jesus. You know, right there in the place. I didn't know where he was at or anything. I didn't get him on his knees. He didn't repent and didn't do anything like that. But I was just telling him that the Lord loved him. And that the Lord loved him for taking care of his dad's business because his dad was sick. You see, that's those kind of opportunities that God wants to bring to us. And you guys know it, and I know it, this world's out of control. My daughter was going to me, goes, Dad, do you think World War III is coming? I said, yeah, I'm sure it is. The Bible says it's coming. This world is so confused, isn't it? This world is so full of fear. It's so full of hate. It, it, I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's like it was back in the 60s when we had that great revival. I'm telling you guys, it's coming. It really is. But we need to be prepared for it. We need to anticipate that uh, those opportunities are going to come to us. My daughter gets so crazy with me. Is this thing hooked on right? Yeah, there you go. My daughter gets so mad at me. I taught her how to fly fish when she was really young, and every time she goes with me, I go into my fly fishing guide mode because I do guide. I've been guiding for years and years in our back country. And I'll get her, and I'll just start telling her, okay, there's going to be a fish there. There's going to be a fish there. Every cast, get ready for a fish. And she gets so bugged at me. And I say, listen, daughter, her name's Cass. I go, you've got to anticipate that there's going to be a fish there for you. Because when you don't, and when it strikes, you'll miss it. The same thing for us. We've got to start preparing. We've got to start anticipating that God's going to bring open doors to us. Amen? Because when we start doing that kind of stuff, that's when he's going to bring those opportunities to us. I could tell you story after story with things in my life where I got to share with people like that. But we don't have time. we got to get going. God wanted to move Paul on. It's very interesting that you see something here in just these ver- few verses. How did he do that at this particular point in his life? Paul, Paul was directed by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God directs people in very different ways from time to time. At this time, if you notice there, it said that he had no peace of mind. In the Greek, it meant that he had unrest in his spirit. Something was just kind of going on inside of him. There was this, this uneasiness in him. He was waiting for Titus and everything. There was an open door. He's preaching people, getting saved. But yet God still wanted to move him on. So he had this, this uneasiness kind of going on inside of him. And it caused him to take off and go to Macedonia. 
well, what's the point here? The point is that God can change your course and my course from time to time through circumstances or sometimes through these inner feelings that we have deep down inside of us. You just know something. It's like, man, I, I think I might need, just need to go do something right now. I need, I need to stop this and go over here. You get what I'm saying? Or it might just be a full-on circumstance that God brings into your life. Well, let's go on. This is where he says that we're a sweet perfume in verse 14. I don't know if any of you have ever read that before. How many of you knew you were a sweet perfume for God? Not very many. Now you do. But thank God, he says, he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like what? Like a sweet perfume. Like a sweet perfume. Thanks be to God. I love that. What can you be thankful for? Guys, what? Everything. Ephesians 5, I don't have it up there. Verse 20 says everything. The good things, bad things. You know, got a good wife, bad wife, good husband, bad husband. Just be thankful. Maybe God will change their hearts. I don't know. (laughs) Paul was thankful for meeting up with Titus in Macedonia. But I love what he says here. He says he leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. What in the world does that mean? You look at that first and you go, what is he talking about there? Listen, this is what the Romans used to do. They would go in and they would conquer, conquer a place. And then they would take all those captives and they would bring them back. And they would march them in this big procession in front of everybody just to humiliate them. But to show off the conquering I don't know, general or whatever it was, and show how good of a job he did. Well, what Paul uses kind of that same illustration here, and he says, you and I are Christ captives. He doesn't, you know, march us around like this in humiliation. He's there going, hey, look at these guys. These are my people. I love these people. That's what he's trying to say here. And we are being led by the captain of the Lord's host. We're being led by Jesus and what they are, what we're doing. And he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ. The New American Standard Bible uses the word manifest. And what manifest meant was to make visible. And what he's trying to give us there is a picture of that you and I in our lives make Christ visible to the world we live in. They'll never see Jesus. I never see, I've never seen Jesus. But I've seen Jesus in people's lives. That's what he's trying to say there. And he says that you and I are a sweet perfume. Literally, it means that, that we're a sweet smell or we're a sweet odor. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about this, you know, and I'm like going, wow, that's kind of interesting. You know, we're a sweet perfume or we're a sweet cologne. I put, I put on some stuff tonight. I don't always put on stuff. Well, my wife gave me Calvin Klein. I put some Calvin Klein on, and man, it smells good. I like it really smells good. Do any of you guys remember high karate? Void na ru ta ta ta. I should put some of the old commercials on it because it's hilarious, man. They got women attacking men and they're having to chop them out or something like that. And, and then I remember, I remember one time when you know, I was a little kid. You know, I got a grandkid now. I remember when I was a little kid and my grandpa one time had me in there. And I was just mesmerized at my grandpa slapping all this stuff all of his face. And I think he probably had, and I used to use it. This will date me. 
Remember Old Spice? Oh, man. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> but Old Spice, and really, if you use the aftershave, it had alcohol in it. So it's like, who's the guy on Home Alone? Remember, he slaps it on and goes, wow! My grandpa did that to me. It about knocked me down when he did that. But I was thinking, well, ladies, you know what? You need heavenly scent number three. And you're saying, why number three? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like that one? And then men, we need to use the king's men, number seven. So that's what you need to be putting on. And listen, what we're supposed to do is take that sweet perfume, that king's men, number seven, you know. We're supposed to take it wherever we go. Wherever we go, wherever God strategically has placed you, that's where you're to go. And God's strategically placed every one of you. You've heard me speak of that before. I believe that with all my heart. Where you live, where you work, where you shop, where you do anything that you do, you're strategically placed there to be this sweet perfume. To be this sweet perfume. Well, what kind of fragrance are we? Well, let's go on and read a little bit further. Uh, let's pick up on verse 15. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. I'm going to stop right there. Isn't that interesting? It's different. But we're to be a Christ-like fragrance. Christ-like fragrance. Ephesians 5.2 says this, Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a what? As a fragrant aroma. You see, that fragrance is perceived differently to those who are saved and those who aren't saved, to those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians. It smells differently to them. That's what he's trying to say there. And I think, you know, ladies, don't they do this to you? When you go in to get perfume, you're supposed to put it on and smell it, and it smells a little differently sometimes on different, on different people. Well, to, the, to, the, to those who are perishing, in other words, what I mean by that, those who are, are, are slipping into total darkness and, and separation and being destroyed and ruined, it's, it's a dreadful smell of death and doom. That's why I think sometimes, so many times, Christians don't like being around us. They don't even know that they're smelling it, but they just don't like, like it. Because it just seems a little uncomfortable to them. Think about before you gave your life to Christ. Did you really like hanging around Christians all the time? No, you didn't. Yeah, honest, honest brother right there. No, you didn't. There was just something about them. It's, it's this smell that he's talking about. It was that death and doom. They, 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 they don't know what it is, but it's there. And to those being saved, those who are rescued from Satan's kingdom, man, it's a life-giving perfume. What a contrast. It's a life-giving. It's a beautiful scent of, of the wonderful life of what it's going to be when we get to heaven. I was thinking about that today. When we get to heaven, and maybe God was giving me a revelation of this, but I'm going to tell you what. I, I was thinking about it and praying about this message and I just felt like the Lord's like saying, when you get to heaven, you are not going to believe the smell, how beautiful it is going to be up there. If you've ever found yourself someplace, somewhere, it just smelled so good and you just almost never wanted to leave, heaven's going to be a thousand times better than that. 
I mean, we're going to be with the king of kings who really smells good. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about this, too. Perfume and cologne, you have to put it on over and over again to keep the scent strong, don't you? I remember my grandma, both my grandmas, they used to carry them little things in their purses, man, and they were slapping that stuff on them all the time. And the stuff that they put on didn't smell that great, I didn't think, as a little kid. <laughs> Smelt real fruity or something, I don't know. But you hear what I'm having to say? you got to put it on over and over and over again. In other words, listen, maybe the closer we get to Jesus, the more we start smelling like him. And, and the more encounters we have with Jesus, maybe a little bit of that sweet perfume rubs off on us. You hearing what I'm saying? That's what I think he's trying to say here to these people. Well, who can take this fragrance of Christ? Let's go on. Verse uh, 16b. But to those who are being saved, we are life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Well, he's trying to say who's adequate to take this message to the world. Who's adequate for that? And literally in the Greek, it means who's sufficient, who's competent, who's fit in character for this, path, for this task. He's saying, who's adequate to do this? And he says, these hucksters aren't. And some of the translations, I think if you got another translation, it might even say these peddlers of the word of God. Now, some of us that are older, we know what hucksters are like. But literally what he's trying to say there in the original language, it says what they would be doing is they were adulterating the word of God. That's what they were doing. They were adulterating it. And what he says to me, he says, look at those men are not adequate to take the word. God hasn't made them adequate to take the word or to be a fragrance for Christ. And literal picture that it has here, when you kind of really study it, is that it's like a retailer or a tavern keeper who adulterated their goods or their wine just to turn a buck. And what I mean by this, by that is this. They, they misrepresented their product. They distorted their products. You know, back in the old mine days and stuff like that, you know, they have all the whiskey and all that kind of crazy stuff. The guys selling the stuff made more money than the guys going after the gold, but they watered down the stuff. So what he's saying is here, these guys are misrepresenting the product, the word, the good news, the gospel. Companies get sued for misrepresenting things, don't they? All of a sudden, the government come after them and say, you're misrepresenting. This isn't what you say it is. Well, that's what these hucksters do. The Judaizers did that to the gospel there. They, they would add other things to the word of God. False teachers would do that. False religions would do that. And they still do it to this day. They add things to the word. You don't add, you don't take away. You know what the book of Revelation says about people that do that? God's going to add the plagues on them. And God's going to take things away from them when they do that. And I love what Paul says there. He says, look, I don't do this for personal profit. He didn't preach the word for that. He didn't do it for personal gain. He didn't do it for notoriety. And there's a lot of people that do that today for that. There's a lot of people that do that for money. You guys remember the old movie, uh, Elmer Gantry? You know, it's that kind of a thing. 
There's guys on TV, I'm telling you, they're hucksters. They really are. Some of them really aren't doing it for the right reason. Paul said, you know what? I do it with a sincere heart. You know what he means by that? He says, I do it because I love Jesus. I don't do it because I get a paycheck. I do it because I love Jesus. Every one of these guys up there, our pastors that do get paid, listen, they preach the word even if they don't get paid because they have a sincere heart. That's why they do it. They don't do it for the notoriety. Paul said, I speak with Christ's authority. He had a great anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life. And that who, that's who gives that anointing. He said that he knew God was watching him. Did you get that there? He goes, I know God's watching me when I say things. Everything I say over this pulpit, anybody who teaches up here, the Bible says they have a stricter judgment on their life because of what they teach. Dustin, when you teach up here, you have a stricter judgment. John, whoever is up here, there's a stricter judgment that goes on you. That's why you better make sure that you know that God's listening to you because he always is. These Judaizers and these false teachers and stuff were saying a lot of crazy things, and that's what Paul was trying to straighten out. You see, listen, guys, you don't know what the truth is unless you know the truth. You don't know what's false unless you know the truth. You hear what I'm saying? If you know the word of God, you're not going to listen to a bunch of false teachings. You know, and there are some that are out there. They're not as rampant as they were 40 years ago. But there's a lot of stuff that's out there that is not the truth. Well, let's go on. Letters of Christ. He uses another analogy. He says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not, he says. The only letter of recommendation we need is yourself. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Some translations say just written in hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with what? The spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. On human hearts. Letters of Christ. Paul's ministry was under attack. That's what it is. And he will be defending himself through the rest of this letter over and over and over again. They were questioning his credentials. They were questioning his apostleship. That's what they did. In other words, listen, leaders are going to have critics. That's just how it is. If you want to lead someday, you're going to have critics. If you're a Christian, you're going to have critics. It's an unfortunate. But I tell you what, even sometimes with that criticism, uh, you know, you could take that criticism if you're mature enough and look at it and say, maybe there's something there I need to just kind of examine my heart about. Maybe there is something here. Maybe I'm too snappy or whatever it might be. But we're going to have that from time to time. He had his critics. Paul says to him, he says, look, do I need letters of recommendation to come to you? Listen, they knew him. He pastored their church for 18 months, a long time. I don't know about Pastor Jeff, but I know when I was pastoring, I used to get letters written to me all of the time, kind of introductory type letters asking to come and preach over the pulpit and stuff and minister at our church. 
sure you get those things. That's what Paul's trying to say. He says, look, man, do, 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 do I need to bring you recommendation letters of my ministry? Or, or do I need to even get these recommendation letters from you so I can go and preach it at another church? See, he's kind of being a little foolish with them a little bit, kind of messing with them a little bit, because the answer is no. Paul knew Paul's, I mean, Paul, everybody knew Paul's ministry at that time. He truly did. But I love what he says there. He says that they are letters written on hearts. Letters written on hearts. Their lives told a story. Their lives painted a picture. And see, that's for you and me. Every one of you that are here tonight, including myself, our lives tell a story. They tell a story about Christ, about God's work in our life. And people need to see God's work in the lives of his followers. They truly do. This is the questions for you. What kind of story does your life tell and what picture are you painting tonight? Seriously. What kind of picture? If someone had to describe your, your life as a story of Christ, what would they be saying about that? And then two, what does it say about God's love? What does it say about God's faithfulness? What does it say about God's forgiveness? What does it say about God's provision? What does it say about God's power in your life? You see, look, at if you're a loving person and a forgiving person, you're telling the story of Jesus, aren't you? And everything that you do. If you're being faithful to God, they can see that it's a good thing to follow after Jesus and to trust him. Paul's ministry of feeding and caring shaped the lives of people. That, that's what the word does. That's what it does when we minister and we serve one another, when we interact with one another. It doesn't just have to come from somebody standing up here on the stage. It, it, it happens between the life of each and every one of us. We help shape one another's lives is what we do when we come together because iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? Sometimes it sparks a lot too. <laughs> but you see, Paul's investment and his sacrifice was worth it all. It's worth it all because it changed lives. It really is. They were being molded by the Holy Spirit. Their stories were being carved upon the hearts of people. And that's what God wants us to do. Have our lives being carved on the hearts of people where they go, man, the people are Christian. They're the nicest people on the block. That's what they need to be saying about us. We're lumps of clay, aren't we, on the potter's wheel. Listen to Jeremiah here. I love this verse. He said, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. We're getting close to wrapping this up. He said, go down to the potter's shop, Jeremiah, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hands, you, you are in my hand. We're just lumps of clay. Lumps of clay allowing the potter to mold us and to make us what he wants us to be. 
And then Paul says this in verse 4 and 6. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Did you notice that? Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is the covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Did you hear what Paul said there? He said that he had great trust in God through Christ. Through Christ. I pondered that for a while. Going, what in the world is he trying to say here? And I think what he's trying to say here is because Paul had such a deep, close relationship with Jesus, God's son, he could totally trust God for his life. There's a lot of you guys that have a hard time trusting God. He's the sovereign Lord. And everything in your life and everything in my life comes into my life for a reason and for a purpose. God doesn't randomly just let things happen. He knows. He knows. He truly does. But if you have a deep, close relationship with Jesus, I really believe that you can trust God as sovereign Lord in your life. You truly can. If you're having a hard time, maybe you just need to get a little, little closer to Jesus, and that will help you to trust him. Paul's confidence came from Christ, not through his PhDs and all of that, and he had them all. He was a very brilliant man, but he said that his confidence, it came because it was anchored in Christ, not in himself. Not in himself. Not your education. Nothing but in Christ. That's where it was. We're almost done. Listen to this verse here. John 15, 4 through 5. Jesus said this. These are his words. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitless, fruitful, excuse me, unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. You see, that's what Paul's trying to say here. I'm adequate. I can do what I can do because of what Christ has done in my life. He makes me qualified. He makes me adequate to do what he's called me to do for this assignment. If, if God, listen, if God gives you an assignment to do something, God tells you to go do something over here or over there, you're qualified to do it. You will be adequate to do it. You won't be lacking in anything if you come to Christ and say, Lord, this seems like it's beyond me, but I've got to trust you. God will make you qualified and adequate to do that. You know, our pastor, Jeff, man, he, he talks about it coming out of prison, talking all of that kind of stuff. Wow. You know, how many times he goes, man, I didn't think I could do this. Well, God knew he could. God knew he was going to be adequate because he made him adequate. Amen? <laughs> the Lord makes us who we are if we yield ourselves to him. Okay? You need that deep, close relationship with him, guys. You really do. We need to get closer and closer to him. We truly do. 
He talks about the new covenant. He talks about this old covenant. And basically what he's talking about is, is that Old Testament law versus the gospel, the good news. And I'm going to tell you, the Old Testament, the letter of the law, it kills. That's what it does. Unfortunately, you know, what it says in here, the Ten Commandments, the greatest moral thing that could ever, that, that mankind could ever do. If we lived that way, we'd have peace everywhere. We really would. But unfortunately, what the law did, and the book of Romans talks about it, it, it deprived us of that spiritual life. It condemned us. It, it required complete perfection and obedience, and no one could do that. But this new covenant that he's talking about, and whoever teaches next week will talk more about that, what that does is through the Spirit, it gives us life. It makes us alive and it makes us right with God. That's what it does. Paul had a lot of critics. You're going to have critics. That's just how it's going to be. But he took advantage of those open doors that were given to him. And I want to see that, guys. Don't you want to see that? You want to see those open doors. All of a sudden, people just, their hearts are just ready to receive the word of God, the gospel. Let's go to him in prayer. We need to pray for some of those things. Lord, we thank you that Paul says that our lives are like a perfume. I pray that, God, that we'd put on some more cologne tonight, that we'd get close to you, Jesus, and we'd stay close to you so that we kind of pick up your scent and we take you wherever we go, Lord. Help us to stay close so we look like you, so we smell like you, Lord. For some of us, Lord, maybe our story of you doesn't look that great. But, Lord, we come tonight and say, God, make a beautiful story out of my life. Thank you, Lord. Take these hands, take our life, and, and, and use them for your purpose and, and, and use them for your glory, God. We pray for that great outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray for great opportunity, as Paul said. God, let the doors open wide and, and let us begin to experience uh, people wanting to know about Jesus, Lord. This place is just going out of control, Lord, this world is. And I pray that you could take that fear and that confusion and it would bring people to you, that people would start going, this world is hopeless. What can I hang on to? And you, your church, Lord, could say, you can hang on to Jesus because you give your life to him. You don't have to worry about the future. Thank you, Lord God, for saving our souls. Thank you for your word, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters. May they go in your power and go in your grace and go in your mercy. In Jesus' name, and they all said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. As we